0: Thank you for listening to this production from New Life Presbyterian Church. If you'd like to find out more, visit newlifepca.org. Just uh, a couple thank yous before we get started. Many thanks to um, the hospitality team for their good work in getting uh, a meal together for us on Friday when we had Presbytery. Also, the worship band uh, did a great job leading us in worship as we had a service together as a Presbyterian. That was on Friday, so uh, thanks to all of you and others who helped um, with that. It was a, a very good meeting. Uh, our Presbytery meets about four times a year and uh, only gets here to New Life every few years, so it doesn't happen very frequently, but it was a good meeting. So thanks to all of you who helped with that. Also, events team, thank you for uh, organizing the Mystery Dinner, which happened last night. Did you have a good time, those of you who were able to go last night? I've heard um, good things. Um, Unfortunately, I was unable to be there, but uh, I heard there was a good sign-up and and good time had. So, um, hope you got to connect with some people maybe that you didn't know so well, but again, thanks to the events team for um, organizing that. Uh, Also, just one last quick thing, I wanna remind you that um, we are doing an Exploring New Life class, which is an opportunity for you to become a member of the church if you're interested in that, or if you just wanna know more about the church and what we believe and why we do what we do. Uh, this would be the class to take. And it starts September 30th. It'll be Sunday mornings between like 9:15 and 10, 15. Six classes. Uh, we just need you to sign up so we know how many materials to, to prepare, sign up sheet on the Welcome Center. Again, that starts on September 30th. Okay, you can open your Bibles to the book of Genesis. We'll be looking at Genesis 3 today. Uh, we are continuing now our sermon series called Root 66. And what we're doing is traveling through the Bible. And the goal in this sermon series is to take one sermon per Bible book, one sermon per book, and move our way through the entire Bible. And that's why it's called, called Route 66, because there are 66 books in the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation. And so we started last week um, in Genesis chapter one, and um, as you know, I broke the rules already. I've told you I'm gonna keep it to one sermon per book of the Bible, but Genesis is just so foundational in so many ways that there's just no way to limit um, the sermons on Genesis to just one, so we're gonna do three sermons in Genesis. And the, kind of the idea here is to learn to read the Bible as one big grand story. Rather than looking at the Bible as a bunch of disconnected parts or just a bunch of quotes and sayings, Um, We want to see the Bible as a story and be reminded that you and I are part of that story because this is not a fable story. This is a story of the way things actually are. It's a story of reality. And so hopefully through this series, although it's gonna take some time, we will be able to read the Bible, interpret it better. So last week we started with um, the origin of the universe. Today we're gonna be looking at the origin of sin and then next Sunday we'll look at the origin of the nation of Israel before we move on to Exodus and the other books of the Bible. So last week, looking at uh, the origin of the universe, and you might recall that we heard that, that God is the reason for everything. That's why anything exists, that's why you exist. You exist to know Him, to glorify Him. God is the fundamental reality of the universe. Then we heard also that creation is very good. God made the stars and the earth and the trees and everything in creation and made it good, called it good. There's nothing inherently evil about creation. God says it's very good. And then we heard that you and I have been made in the image of God. That is, that we are the only creatures in the universe who resemble God, that you and I are actually God-like creatures. We're not the same as God, but we reflect God. And so, what we saw last week was a very positive, exciting, glorious beginning to the universe and to human life. But when we fast forward to 2018, to our day right now, we look around and we notice that things are not so good. They're not so good. Things are not now like they were back in the garden in those first couple of chapters of Genesis. And that should cause us to ask a very important question which is what went wrong? Now many of you hopefully have asked this question of yourself and you've probably, if you're like me, have asked it many times. You've said something like this, after you have done something foolish for the 10th or 12th or 15th or 30th time and you've asked yourself what is wrong with me? you ever asked that question, maybe even under your breath, what's wrong with me? Certainly many of you, particularly who are married, have wondered that about your spouse. What's wrong with him? <laughs> what's wrong with her? Are you parents probably, I know, ask that about your children? You've talked to them and you've said, what's wrong with you? And when you look at the news and you see all that's going on in our world, hopefully you've asked, what's wrong with us? What went wrong? That's what Genesis three explains to us. It's telling us about the origin of sin which is sometimes called the fall, the fall. The fall of mankind um, in Genesis three. So that's what we're gonna look at here in um, this chapter. We're gonna read the whole chapter because it's all very important. What this tells us is where all of our problems began. How it all went wrong. So let's stand for the reading of God's word, Genesis 3, the whole chapter. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the Garden of Eden he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. God in heaven, please open our eyes to behold wonderful things in your word now, in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Uh, so much in this text, we could do multiple sermons on Genesis 3 here. So uh, what I wanna show you today is um, how everything began, uh, how the, or excuse me, how our our problems began and how this text teaches it and it tells us um, the root of the fall. It tells us the results of the fall and it tells us that there is a possibility of redemption from the fall. So those are the three things we're going to look at. So first of all, the root of the fall. What is the very root of our problem? So noticing here, verse 1 of chapter 3, it begins by saying, now the serpent. Now all of a sudden we look at that and we ought to be a little bit startled and maybe ask the question, where did this serpent come from? What do you mean a serpent? I mean, we just heard about this very good creation in chapters one and two, but now the serpent. And this serpent is more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. Now, we, we learn as we look at other parts of Scripture, Revelation 12, 9 in particular, that this serpent is Satan. And one thing that is not explained here is how an evil creature like this serpent is suddenly um, existing in a creation that God called very good. I mean, how did this happen? This is a mystery. The story that we're looking at here does not explain why or how this uh, particularly happened. Um, So this becomes a problem for, for some people. And some object to the story that is being told at this very point because of this, this presence of this, this serpent who is Satan speaking through a snake. And, and there's really two main objections to this. And the first is, is just the objection that comes from your typical kind of, um, you know, skeptical modern mind, which is, are you telling me that there is a devil? I mean, are, are you saying that there is really a person called Satan who lives in the universe? I mean, that's the kind of thing you hear about in fables and stories. And... What I'm telling you and what I think the Bible is telling us is again, this isn't just a fable, that this is a story of the way things actually are. Are you telling me that there's a devil? I mean, isn't, isn't the devil kind of like a unicorn? You know, something we read about in books, but we all know doesn't exist? There's a guy named, I um, can't remember his name. Well, that's his name, Del Banco. That's his last name. And, and he wrote a book called The Death of Satan. And this guy was a, a, is a, he's a professor at Columbia University, he's, he's not a Christian, he's a secularist. The death of Satan, he opens the book by saying this, a gulf has opened in our culture between the visibility of evil and the intellectual resources to cope with it. What, what he's saying is, as we, as we look at our culture and we look at the horrible, evil, nasty, disgusting, filthy things that we see happening in our world all the time, there's this big gulf between what we see happening and the intellectual resources that we have as a secular society to deal with it. What he's saying is, apart from a belief in a Satan, a devil, there really isn't any way to explain the evil that we see in our world. And again, this guy is not coming from a Christian point of view, and he's written this whole book talking about how Losing a belief in Satan has made us a very confused culture. I mean, when you think about all the great stories that are told, think about all of your favorite movies and the most popular movies. There's always a villain in the movie, isn't there? There's always a bad guy. Wizard of Oz. There's the Wicked Witch. It's a Wonderful Life. There's Mr. Potter. Shawshank Redemption. There's the... um, uh, the, uh, the, the warden, the prison warden, the evil warden. In Batman, is, there's the Joker. Even in Toy Story, you've got Lotso, right? They all have evil characters. There's always a, represent, a villainous representation of evil. And quite frankly, friends, if that wasn't present in the story, you wouldn't care about it. That's what makes the story interesting, quite frankly. That's what makes stories good. For all of human history, the human heart has been drawn to these stories. They're good stories. Do you know why they're good stories? Because they're true stories. They reflect a true story. The story that's being told to us right here in Genesis chapter three. That yeah, actually there is a villain. The reason we're drawn to these stories is because they ring true to us. At some level, we know this is the truth, and that's what the Bible is telling us. So that's the first objection to this idea of a devil: is people just wonder if he really exists. And I'm telling you, yes, he does exist, and the Bible says that he exists. The second objection that sometimes people bring to this is this: they say, "Why would God write a story where a devil is included? Why would He do that?" Because Let's be very clear, as we look at the biblical story, what is being said here is that the devil is part of it. God has written this story before the ages began and he intended that Satan would be a part of the story. See, we, we can't see God and Satan as like dual eternal forces who are, have been doing battle through all of history I mean, there are some religious views that that hold that. But, you know, notice what it says at the end of verse 1. The serpent was more crafty than any of the other beasts of the field that the Lord God had made. God made Satan. Satan is not eternal. He is a creature who belongs to God. God is the sovereign ruler of all things. And he wrote a story that included a devil. Now, that might sound disturbing. Disturbing. And some of you might say, you know, I don't like that. And a lot of people don't like that. And so they reject it and they say, I don't believe this Christian story. Because you believe in a God who wrote a story that has evil in it. So, okay. If that's what you want to do, you dismiss God from the picture. Now, what, do you, what, what is really accomplished? Have you gotten rid of evil? Have you gotten rid of suffering? Have you gotten rid of sorrow? You've eliminated God from the picture, but have you eliminated evil from the picture? No, you haven't. And now the problem is you don't have a story by which to make sense of the presence of an evil villain like Satan. So this doesn't answer all the questions, but getting rid of God and disbelieving God as the author of the story doesn't help make sense of evil and suffering. I think the presence of a devil helps make sense of it and God has intended that this would be part of the story. Greg Kugel says this, the story not only explains the evil people do, it predicts it And our world is exactly the kind of world we'd expect it to be if the story were true and not just wishful religious thinking. So, we've got this serpent who's... Um, at the start of this chapter. So what does this serpent do? What does Satan do? And we notice that, first of all, he goes to the woman. Um, That's significant because God set up Adam to have authority over Eve. He created Adam before he created Eve. And when Satan comes on the scene, he goes to Eve and not to Adam. I I don't think that is uh, an accident. But here's what what he does. Satan, first of all, questions the reality of sin. Verse one, he says to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the answer to that question is, yeah, he did say that. (laughs) He said it very clearly. If you want to look at chapter two, verse 17. God is very clear, no, there's one tree you can't eat of. And then Satan comes, yeah, but did he really say that? I know you think he said that, but did he really? Maybe he meant something else? What does Satan want to do? He wants to come in and deny the reality of sin, and he wants to create questions about what God has said. So, most of us, when we think of the activity of Satan, you know, we think of what Satan wants us to do is go out into the woods and and practice weird satanic rituals, or, you know, he wants us to listen to heavy metal music. You know, that's the way Satan acts. He wants us to do those things, and, you know, who knows? Maybe Satan is involved in, in, in those things at some level, but, but look what this passage is saying, that what Satan really wants of you is that you would doubt the Word of God. That's what he wants. That's his first tactic. That's where he begins. Did God really say I know you've always believed that he thought that, and I know you always believed that this was a sin and that was a sin, but really? Did he really say that? That's what Satan wants. He, he wants you to lack confidence in God's word. First thing. The second thing is then he denies the danger of sin because what Eve does here in verse um, 3 is he excuse me she repeats what God said God did say, you should not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. It's like Satan understands, okay, I think she got that. So I, I'm going to twist it a little bit now. And what he does is he denies the danger of sin. Verse 4, serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. God said that if you ate of it, you would die. And now what Satan wants to do is say, eh, you know, sin is, it's not really as bad as you think. You're not going to die God wouldn't judge you, that's not what God does, God's not a judgmental God, God's not a wrathful God, God's a God of love, he loves everybody, he accepts everybody, he's a tolerant God, he wouldn't judge you, you're not going to die, don't you want to be happy, don't you see that others are doing this and nothing's happening to them, so many other people are engaging in this sin, They're getting away with it. In fact, they seem to be getting ahead. I mean, they seem to be happy. They seem to be succeeding. You have a right to be happy. Don't worry about it. Nothing's going to happen. That's what Satan wants. If you can't really question what God said, then you'll question whether there's any danger in sinning. And then the third thing Satan does is he suggests even an advantage to sin. He says not only... Are you not gonna be judged for this? But, but actually, you know what? It'll be better if you sin. You'll be better off. Look at verse five. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God. That's what'll happen if you sin. You're gonna be like God. You're gonna know things that you never knew before. It's gonna be wonderful. Yeah, you ought to sin. This'll be good for you. What we see here is that Satan is tempting Adam and Eve not just to be law breakers, but to be law makers. That's, that's what he, he wants you to think, that you can make decisions about what is right and wrong on your own. You don't need God's help. You don't need the word. You don't need revelation. Who is to tell you what's right or wrong? That's up to you, to ma- the decision for you to make. I mean, does that sound familiar to you? <laughs> I mean, isn't that the culture in which we're living? Don't we hear that message over and over and over again? And here we are in Genesis chapter 3, written millennia ago, and it's capturing the very reality of the world in which we live. You've got to pay attention to that. This is amazing <laughs> that this ancient scripture is capturing the truth of our existence. You really you want to deny the existence of Satan when what we have just read here is an absolute, accurate, spot-on description of what life is like and the way he works. So Eve's response is, what what does she do? She believes the lie with her mind, it gets down into her heart, and then it affects her will, and she makes a decision. And we see that in verse 6. She takes the fruit, and she eats it. She gives it to her husband, and he eats it, and paradise is lost. The world is broken. It goes from color to black and white. Everything gets sour. The whole world has changed. I mean, there's a lot of horrible things that have happened in the world, a lot of awful things, but there's nothing worse than this. The low point in human history. That's the root of the fall. So, story goes on. Results of the fall. The results of the fall. What what then happened as a result of this? Again, remember how the story began. Um, Adam and Eve in the garden, enjoying the perfect marriage, getting along perfectly enjoying their work as rulers of the garden, rulers of creation, the king and queen of creation. I mean, you can't imagine a more significant position for two people to be in than what Adam and Eve had, cultivating the garden. And not only that, but they had intimate friendship with God, face-to-face relationship with him, no disruption to that, perfect friendship with their creator. And what we see here in Eden is kind kind of a little sanctuary that is a picture of the way it's supposed to be. People working on the earth and worshiping God, relating to one another perfectly, relating to creation perfectly, relating to God perfectly. And yet, as a result of this sin, we see what happens is that everything beautiful becomes broken. And so again, as I go through this, I want you to think, does this sound true? Does this sound like the world in which I live? Because watch what happens here. Watch what Genesis 3 tells us about how everything beautiful becomes broken. The first thing that gets broken is the relationship between Adam and Eve. You know, when you talk about the good old days, sometimes we look back, the good old days were the time in the garden. Those were the good old days. (laughs) There really haven't been any good old days since then because these things have been broken. So the relationship between Adam and Eve, notice what happens. Verse 7 After they eat, the eyes of both of them were open, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together. Why did they sew fig leaves? Why did they want to cover themselves up? Um, At the end of chapter 2, you see the man and his wife were naked, and they were not ashamed, 225. But now they're ashamed. They, they, They don't want to expose each other to each other. They want to hide from each other. And it has to do with their perspective on their bodies. They're insecure about their bodies. I mean, have you heard of this thing called body shaming we hear a lot about, which is just criticism that's given or received based on a person's physical appearance. This is the first incidence of body shaming. The fall. They don't want to reveal themselves to each other. Do do any of you have any insecurities about the way you look? Of course you do. Everybody does. It's the result of the fall. But not only that, but verse 11 and 12, we see Adam's reaction to his wife as God comes and asks the question, have you eaten of this? And what does Adam say? Um, Verse 12, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit and I ate. And so what's happening here? It's the first example of blame shifting, avoiding responsibility. It's not my fault, is what Adam is saying. It's my wife's fault. If you didn't put her here with me, I probably would have done just fine. But it's even a little more than that because notice what, how Adam says it. It's the, one, the woman that, that you gave to be with me. So, I mean, God actually, if you think about it, it's kind of your fault. I mean, this wouldn't be a problem if she weren't here and you put her here. And now you just have all of this interpersonal tension, lack of trust, blame-shifting, Dissension, And then what happens with Eve? Well, in verse 16, we see this um, word from God that he's going to multiply her pain and childbearing. And then at the end of verse 16, your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. That word desire probably means something more like trying to control or trying to dominate. And so in a marriage, marriage relationship, you're going to have a, a woman trying to dominate a man and then a man responding by ruling over his wife and there's gonna be marital tension. They're gonna be competing for control and budding heads. Does any married person know what that's like here? You ever experienced that? <laughs> the relationship between Adam and Eve, a beautiful thing to begin with, becomes broken. Then we see the relationship between people and the earth gets broken. It used to be in the garden that work was a joy but now it's drudgery. Verses 17 to 19, God's speaking to Adam here. Adam was given the charge to work the garden, but now here's what's gonna happen. Cursed is the ground because of you, at the end of verse 17. Now it's in pain that you're gonna eat all the days of your life. Verse 18, thorns and thistles are gonna grow up and make life hard for you. Verse 19, by the sweat of your face, you're just gonna have to sweat just to get bread to eat. Everything's gonna be hard. Does that ring true to you? I mean, I, it sure rings true to me. It just seems like I can just never get on top of things. I just feel like I, there's always a million things to do. I can't keep up. <laughs> it's so hard to get things in order. You know, you're working on your house and you get this fixed and that breaks down. You get this thing done and there's this trial and it's just on and on and on by the sweat of your brow. This is what God is saying. This is going to be the result of the fall. Work is going to be hard, it's going to be difficult. It's going to seem unsatisfying. There's a guy named Richard Thompson who's uh, one of my very favorite songwriters. He wrote a song called Stuck on the Treadmill. Wish I knew a better way to keep myself alive, shaking sheets of metal every day from nine to five. Others may be living, but me, I just survive. I'm just surviving. Work sometimes feels that way. There's no joy in it. You're just merely surviving. It's a result of the fall. Have you ever experienced that at work? (laughs) And then lastly, we have relationship between people and God. Actually, something else, um, uh, verse 23 and 24, notice that Adam and Eve get kicked out of the garden, they get exiled from the garden. Um, That becomes very important as we look to the promised land coming later you know, God does desire that his people be in a place, worship him in a specific place. There is a theology of place that we need to think about. and becomes very important in the Old Testament story. Land promises. We'll hear a lot about that. And it begins here. They're kicked out like a landlord kicking out a tenant. They say, get out of here, God says to Adam and Eve. Their, their home is now lost. And they become wanderers on the earth. So the last thing here then is the relationship between people and God. And you see this in verse 9, chapter 3, verse 9. They've eaten the fruit. The Lord God calls to the man, and he says, where are you? And he says in verse 10, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. I hid myself from you, God. I fled from you. I'm scared of you now. We used to have perfect relationship, but now I'm not sure I know you, and I'm afraid of what you're going to do to me and I don't know that you love me, and I don't know that you have my best interests in mind, and I don't want to face you, and I don't want to deal with you anymore, and so I'm going to hide myself." And that's what the human race has been doing ever since, running and fleeing from God. And the worst of all the results is exactly what what God said. He said, if you eat of this fruit, you're going to die, and we find as we move on through this story that that's exactly what happened, spiritual, and physical death, comes to Adam and Eve, and not just to Adam and Eve, but the entire human race as a result of this event. What Adam and Eve did has affected all of us, just like putting a drop of food coloring in a glass of water, and it just fills the whole glass, Adam and Eve's decision has extended to the whole human race. And so when you begin to ask this question, what's wrong with me? friends what's wrong with you it's it's not the fact that you don't have more education it's not the fact that you might live in poverty it's not the fact that there are rich ceos in the world it's not climate change what's wrong with you is that sin is inside of you it's in your heart the waters of your soul have been polluted by the actions of Adam millennia ago. That's your problem. Now, I'm not saying that these other things are unimportant, and I'm not denying that sins maybe have been committed against you. I'm not denying, I'm not saying that every bad thing in your life is your fault, I'm not saying that, but I'm saying the fundamental problem you have is inside you, in your heart. And that's the place you need to begin if you're gonna make any real change in your life, your family, your work situation. That's what this story is telling us. Last thing though, here's, here's, here's the good news. There is redemption from the fall, promised. Redemption from the po- fall is, is possible. Th- th- this is a dark story so far, right? I mean, chapter three uh, is, is kind of a downer. But, but again, doesn't it ring true? I mean, don't you read that and just think, I've seen that, I've lived that. And there's a, a philosopher named Luke Ferry, I've, I, I like to quote this guy, Again, I just love it when I see non-Christians making observations that are consistent with Christian truth. (laughs) I love that, and here's Luke Ferry. He says, what we truly desire is to be understood, to be loved, not to be alone, not to be separated from loved ones. In short, not to die and not to have them die on us. That's really what everybody wants in this world, right? We don't wanna die and we don't want the people that we love to die on us. It's the human condition. But he says, but daily life sooner or later will disappoint every one of those desires. Unless you believe the story. Unless you believe the gospel story that's being told because there there is a, a little bit of light that breaks through here in a couple of places. In verse nine in particular, notice that God calls to the man after Adam has eaten of the fruit, God goes after Adam. God won't give up. The Jesus Storybook Bible talks about a never stopping, never giving up, always and forever love. (laughs) That's what we're seeing pictured here. God is, he's, he's not gonna quit on the human race. He has every right to, but he's not going to. But then secondly, we have the promise of verse 15. And here this it's impossible to overestimate how important this passage is. This sets up everything that's going to happen in the rest of this sermon series, and in the rest of the Bible. God's speaking to Satan. He says, "Satan, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel." I'm an odd statement here but what God is saying is that there's going to be a descendant of the woman a descendant of Eve and we're not really sure at this point is it going to be her son the first son that she bears or is it going to be like a great 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 grandson I mean we don't know that that's what we got to wait to see how the story works but he's saying there's going to be a descendant your offspring And that descendant's going to come, Satan, and and he's going to kill you. But when that descendant kills you, something's going to happen to him. That is, his heel is going to be bruised. That is, he's going to be injured. That is, he's going to suffer. It's going to require his suffering in order to overcome you. It's just like if you can imagine a guy standing maybe with his family and and a poisonous snake comes slithering up. And the guy steps out and he stomps on the head of the serpent. And he kills it, but right before he kills it, because he's stomping on the head, that serpent is able to get his fangs in the guy's foot, right in the back of his heel. And poison is injected, and he dies. He, over, he, he conquered the serpent, he killed the serpent, but, but he suffered in the process. And what this verse is promising is that that is where redemption is found. In that action, now in Genesis three we're thinking who is this guy? <laughs> who, who, who is he? Now of course you and I know, and I'm not going to let you wait until mid 2019 to when we get to the end when we get to the New Testament, you know, to figure out who this guy is. <laughs> this person is Jesus Christ, and we see this here in Revelation 12. The great dragon was thrown down, the ancient serpent, who was called the devil and Satan. That's where we see that the serpent. Satan, the deceiver of the whole world, he was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power of the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before God, and they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb. See, the Lamb, referring to Jesus, is going to shed blood, he's, he's going to have to die in order to conquer this serpent. But that's exactly what he does, and he doesn't stay dead. (laughs) He rises from the grave, victorious over Satan, victorious over death, and he presents himself to you today as a fully sufficient savior to forgive all of your sins and to fix all of your problems. (laughs) And that's the promise of this story. That's That's what we're gonna be looking at. We're gonna take a long time now just to see how does God very slowly unfold this for us, one book at a time. So I hope you'll stick with us as we continue to explore this wonderful story. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that um, the story that we're reading about here is not a fable and not a myth, but the truth of the way things actually are. Thank you, Lord, that you didn't leave us in your sin, but have fulfilled all of your promises for us. All of them are yes in Jesus. And we thank you for him and pray these things in his name. Amen.